0: I don't know if I want to use this, but I will.
1: Um,
0: all right, so we've been talking about how do we tell this story? Because I think it's really important that, you know, we've been trained, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about most of us who came up in our fellowship of churches. We've been trained on how to present this information more in a didactic kind of way and not necessarily tell a story. And so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how do you tell this story? Because that's so much of what our brothers and sisters in the first century did. They told the story of God. And so I wanna recap what we've been talking about just to catch us up, because we took two weeks off, we did that skid community, and then we talked about the vision for 2022. You know, you you gotta remember the two. All right, a worldview will answer at least four questions. Why are we here? What's our problem? What's the solution? Where are we going? And those are epic questions. You know, most of the time on a given day, we ask those questions in a very uh, micro sense like, why am I at work? Why am I in my office? Why am I in my living room? But very seldomly do we um, ask that in a macro sense. And so this is what telling the story is all about. Okay, so we talked that in Genesis chapter 1, there is a competing creation narrative. One narrative in particular, when you think of um, the Babylonian nation, they had a narrative that kings were made in the image of God, but not people. Everyone else was made from uh, mud. They were slaves. They were lower beings, but kings were made in the image of God. And the creation started through two gods fighting, and it's the bloody outcome of that violence that the world started. Where in the Bible, creation comes from a God bringing order, I mean bringing order from chaos and calling everything good. It's really important that we remember that the Bible starts off,
2: everything
0: is good. You and I were made in his image. Does anyone remember what that means? That we were made in his image. This is a song, I think, somewhere out there. But anyone have any idea what it means to be made in the image of God? We have a spiritual essence that no other beings have. Yes. Good, good thought, Connor. We were made to reflect we were made to reflect God on earth. Actually, Genesis 1 doesn't really answer that. It tells us that we were made to rule and gave um, Adam and Eve dominion. But really, the rest of the Bible kind of answers what it means to be made in the image of God. I'm gonna give you a huge spoiler alert. The image of God is Jesus. You and I were made to be like Christ. So when you say, what is the image of God? In the Colossians, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. But right here in this story, we really don't know what the image completely is. We're getting it snapshot at every point. But the other thing we realize is these image bearers were made a partner with God. Creation was designed for good. Everything that God created was for good. Food, good. Weather, Good. Everything was created for good, but then, and all the relationships were right, so we were right up here with God, we were right horizontally, and we were right with creation, like everything was working in unity, and in harmony, and in cohesiveness, and then boom, bad news. In the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve, that was already his first mistake, right? giving Adam and Eve anything. He should have just kept doing it himself. No, that doesn't work. We got a guy who loves to partner with people. That's his desire. He wants to partner with creation, partner with us. He gave him one simple task to govern this world. And then the serpent. That's not how the serpent actually looked like. I know some of you theologians out there are like, that's not what it looked like. And yeah, that's not what the serpent looked like. But the serpent came and convinced Adam and Eve that they could decide good and evil for themselves. That they could do that. Which, to this day, we are all consistently struggling with that when we go against the will of God. At whatever point, if you're being completely honest with yourself, you decide, I'm going to do this because in my head, even if it's evil, it's still right. We all can still struggle with that. And so, The serpent challenged Adam and Eve and said, God doesn't want you to be like him, essentially. That's not God's desire. Was the serpent lying? Yes? Why do you say so? Okay, anyone else? What was the serpent lion. depends on how you look at it. Come on, Wade. You could say, in one way,
1: kind of wasn't a long-term way
0: of... But... You, you want to unpack that a little bit more? I'm following you.
1: Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point, and you, you as well, Heather, that, okay, they were already made in the image of God. And to be God is to know and to discern what good and evil is. God will call the shots. And so they took one more liberty that God wanted them to have. He wanted them to be in love and partnership with them, and they chose for themselves what good and evil would be. And then they got exiled out of the garden. They got kicked out um, as a consequence for their action. But that doesn't mean that God's love stopped. Him exiling them did not stop his love. <clears throat> That's really important. Even as we share with our friends, some people may look at Genesis 3 and be like, see, he, he's punitive. He just wanted to kick him out. Sin has consequences, but no matter how grievous our sin is, God's love never ceases for us, which is spectacular. Sin is human activity contrary to the will of God.
1: The big thing that changed is that, is that God's goal had to be to redeem him, his relationship with him didn't, didn't change in a sense,
0: oh, absolutely. To
1: his goal just to to, had to get back, he had to
0: bring back. So. Absolutely so his redemption plan on on one level you know Paul speaks as if the redemption plan was always there from the very beginning. It's almost like he's like, as, as he was designing the world, he's like, I know I'm going to redeem them. <laughs> he's like, that was, it was already in play. Not like Adam and Eve didn't have any free will to choose whether or not they wanted to eat from the tree of good and evil, but he almost knew. But like you said, Lincoln, I think it's really important that um, his great love for them, taking them out of the garden in that way, was only later to redeem them. And I, and I do want to speak very candidly here. Some people like to think that Adam is in hell. There is no spiritual destination that has been explained in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 about where he's spending eternity. We just don't know. I, and I don't think um, we should assume. But that being said, we're gonna move on, man. That was deep. Uh, all right, can I get someone to read Genesis chapter 12, verse one through verse three? But before you read it, when you guys think about the story of God, if we went from creation, fall, and then to (laughs) Jesus, and then to to, um, the church, would that be enough to help someone know the will of God? Creation, fall, Jesus, the church. No. Why not?
2: Okay. Um, said emphatically. Also it's just it's part of a greater story of a greater like the the creation story doesn't include the law of Moses and I think that's a very
0: Okay, that's definitely one interpretive lens. Thank you for that outstanding answer.
3: So I mean, I think it depends on the person. Like I was converted on less than I was. <laughs> I was shown Jesus in the church. I wasn't shown any creation or the, <laughs> the fall or anything like that. You know, it's shown a select group of scriptures in the Bible studies. But again, I've I been kind of growing up going to Sunday school and that kind of thing, so maybe I already knew that. I guess it depends on where the person is from, but uh, different people might require different things, but again, I think I was going Yeah, that's
0: a good thought. Anyone else? Is the story
3: of creation
0: following Jesus in the church enough? Do, can we skip over the Old Testament as a failed project, or the nation of Israel as a failed project? Let's just go to... Absolutely not. Okay, we know you definitely think that, and we're fired up about that. I agree. <laughs> Any, you want to elaborate a little bit more on why you agree, or is it the same reason as?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I kind of look at the Bible it's like well, it's like a big puzzle that, that shows a picture, and, and, and all of the books, each book of the Bible has a has a, a part of the, is a part of the picture, right? and every book's important. Every book has a reason. Every book has its own message. So I, I think it's all that, that's why it's there. So yeah.
0: All the above. Yeah, is a there.
4: <laughs> okay. I think I, mean, I think we probably all agree that the whole Bible is, is uh, really important. But I, I think, like, how do I say this? Growing up, I grew up Catholic, so I kind of had a Christian background, and I really stepped away from it because I think when I got old enough to look at the problems of the world, environmental. The way that the humanity has totally gone off the chain, I think, like a very simplistic kind of um, Christian, what might be considered like a Western Christian worldview, really doesn't explain a lot of things. But I think when you incorporate the whole Bible and you see what God wanted at the beginning, that actually sounds like you know this utopian society. really talks to a lot of that, especially in the Old Testament, but like a lot of kind of Western churches, even our church sometimes, I think, I think sometimes the story can be so just kind of, oh, everyone has sin, and you just need Jesus, and that's the end, and when it's that simple, it's, it's really hard to, I think, have anything deeper, you know, I mean, it's so much more complicated than that. Obviously, that's true, but yeah.
0: If Tim Jones had a podcast, who would listen? <coughs> I would totally listen. That was profound, Tim. That was simply amazing. Mark, you got? I see your 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 mind working.
4: Always, but uh, I mean, just I I think yeah.
0: So, you know, a lot of times when you're reading the the New Testament in particular, these guys point to the examples of Abraham, of David, of Elijah, of um, Elisha. They point to these examples because for them they understood that they were part of a larger narrative. You know, with the exception of um, Paul in Romans chapter 5, we really don't get a lot of direct reference to Adam. Now, there's a lot of allusions to Adam in the New Testament, but no direct references except Romans chapter five, where Paul calls, and, and, and Corinthians where Paul calls um, Jesus the second Adam. But their story is really important. Hopefully, we could look through Israel's story and understand why it's connected to our salvation. But Israel's story is not in the gospel. Let me just make that very clear. It's a distinction. It's the necessary background to why we need a king. It's a necessary background why God raised up a Messiah, but it's not the gospel. But it's almost like, how many of you have watched the movie, The Hobbit? It's an excellent movie. I'm not gonna spoil it. The Hobbit is the prequel to um, Lord of the Rings. So if you're wondering how did the guy who had the ring right before Frodo, get the ring, establish the ring, that is an important background to the overall destruction of the ring. It kind of gives you more context of why this ring is dangerous, how Frodo got a hold of it, well how the guy before Frodo got a hold of it, and why the story needs to play itself out. And so it's an important background and helps you understand the story more. Israel's story is very similar with the exception that the Torah plays a little bit bigger role than I forget, Bildo, Bildo, Bilbo? Bilbo, yeah. Bilbo, come on, man. Let's go, church. Can I get someone to read um, Genesis 12, verse 1 through verse 3? Go for it, Heather. The Lord has said to All right, so he calls Abram. You know, this is after what everyone will consider the fall, chapter 1 through 11, or 3 through 11. He he calls Abram, and he's like, I'm choosing you out of everyone else. A lot of reasons why he chose him, but he's like, you will go be a blessing. You will be a blessing to all the nations. Like, I am selecting you, and I'm going to do this partnership with you through your family. And so God renews this covenant intention with family. So Abraham then gets the covenant of circumcision. And then as he has that covenant of circumcision, he's like, man, but I still need a son. Abraham gets Hagar, I'm pregnant. And then he has Ishmael. And he's like, no, not this. I wanted you to have a son, just not him. I wanted him to come from your marriage with Rachel, with Sarah, with Sarah. And so he has Isaac. And Isaac is this promised son who through whom the blessings of Israel will come. Isaac kind of has his own journey. You know, in some ways, you kind of get to see the image of God in Isaac and Abraham. But in some ways, you kind of, at, at every point in the story, you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if that's what faithful partnership with God is totally, but they seem to be doing better than most people we see in the story. And Isaac has a son, and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And they have conflict. Jacob is a deceiver. He spends most of his life deceiving, but he has a come-to-Jesus moment. Even though it's not a come-to-Jesus moment, he wrestles an angel out there in the outfield. And he, he has an epiphany. He reconciles with his brother. Then he has 12 children. And then he has Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and they're having conflict. At every point in Genesis, we're looking for partners with God who reflect the image of God. We end the story of Genesis with Joseph, who has the spirit of God on him, ruling alongside Pharaoh. But something seems off a little bit. So you're like, "Oh, that's kind of what it's supposed to sort of look like," but he just took a whole bunch of people's property, and that wasn't cool. You know, economic. Disparity, right there. Then we go to Exodus 19. A couple of hundred years afterwards, the people move into Israel. They go into slavery. God rescues them through Moses and Aaron with the signs, with the splitting of the Red Sea. And then we pick up here where God is about to establish a covenant with them. Can I get someone to read Exodus 19 through um, verse 1 through 9? Right, you- go for it.
3: First day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Mirphidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings. And brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites so Moses went back and some of the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak the people all responded together we will do everything the Lord has said so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said.
0: Amen. And then he goes and gives them the Ten Commandments. So Israel accepted the covenant and he gives them the Ten Commandments and a little bit later he gives them the law and they become a nation, they get divided amongst the 12 tribes, they get ready to go take the promised land that was promised to um, um, Abraham, many generations ago. And this is like it, right? Like, when you think about what went wrong with Isaac or Jacob, they didn't really have a law to point to. Because everyone knows if you have the right information, you're gonna do right, right? You, you don't believe that, Heather? It's not about the right information. Because <laughs> that was what was missing with those other guys. What if they knew you shouldn't treat your brother like that? They would have been like, man.
2: No, I don't believe that. I do believe that. I do.
0: <laughs> so she's bringing in New Testament theology, which is good. But we're not in the New Testament. So we appreciate. The, the leap into there was something going on more. But in the first book, we do not have the law. We do not have people who have a clear guiding sense of what it means to follow God. What we had before is fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, having to teach their children from their experiences of what it meant to walk with God. And so it was more experiential, not necessarily coming from like Any dogma or doctrine. But when God calls Moses up into Mount Sinai, gives him his will, reveals it, he's like, take this back to the people. This is how they can know me. And they establish this covenant. And again, even though we're like, oh, yeah, no, sometimes we really do think right information transforms us instead of something more happening. How does the story go from here? Well, this first generation didn't get it right. You know, and, 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 and that's no shame on them. I think it was difficult. How do you get Egypt out of your blood? It's really difficult. It takes intentionality. They had to learn to trust God at a level no previous generation ever had to trust God. And so, blessings to their children that they saw where their parents fell short and they were able to inherit the promised land. And this entire nation was under God, not like America. But they were under God. They were a theocracy. And God was their king. And then when they took the land under Joseph, I mean Joshua, they established these tribal rulers called Judges. And the rest of the story is good, right? Like, for those of you who've read Judges, what went wrong there? They had the law. They didn't completely built, you know what's, what's interesting in the book of Judges, the tabernacle is completely missing, did you guys know that? Like, where Israel was supposed to worship and sacrifice, that's just missing from that entire book. It was there, it made it into the promised land, and then we lost it for that whole book. But anyhow, what were some other things that were missing in Judges? Idol worship, big time. Anything else that was issues. So you got idol worship, they cranked that out. So if they had a perfect human leader, then they might be get it right for an extended period of time. Yeah. That sounds like you just segue into our next portion of the Old Testament. So Israel's task was to be a priest before God. They weren't priests in the Levitical sense, but priests like I represent God to the people, the people who represent God to me. Like I, I'm interceding in prayers and I, it, it, all of that. And they were to fulfill the blessings of Abraham. Which is what? To bring us back to Genesis 1. That's where the story is always heading. And they were stewards of God's Torah. They had God's word. And they were supposed to be the people who would point the way. They were supposed to be the light. And like we just said in Genesis, I mean Judges, they failed. But then they chose the perfect king. His name is David. A man after God's own heart. Shema. Yeah, man, I hope if God ever wrote scripture about me, not every other paragraph would be "and Steve did evil in the eyes of the Lord.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I hope we get some
0: encouraging bits. But if I ever got scripture written about me in every other paragraph, I'd be like, that was evil too, man? Like, I sincerely think some of it was out of ignorance. Some of it, it was intentional, they knew better. Okay, so God chooses King David, and David instantly shows a zeal for God's word for fairness, for looking out after the underdog, for submission, like he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. But the entire time we're reading about King David, doesn't something seem off, even before he did what he did with Bathsheba? Like what seemed off to you guys about him? Um, That he was praised for killing tens of thousands of Saul thousands. So he was a murderer for the king. For Israel. But that's why he couldn't build a temple. God was like, ah, oh, not you, man. Too much blood on your hands. I just personally never got out of the fact that they like, wrestling like lions in years. Like I, yeah. He had bad parents growing up. Like, <laughs> they left the young shepherd boy. He's like, I'm going to kill these things for free time. Can you imagine Stephen walks into my house with a dead lion? <laughs> I'm like, the government's going to take you away, buddy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he, he killed. You know, at, there was a point where he was running from Saul. He kind of lied. He, you know, he, the, the scriptures are trying to help us see something. That even in our most complex nature, we're all complex, and there are some people more faithful to God than others. Even what would have been the more ideal person, David, was flawed. And that, again, was before Bathsheba's situation. But then what happens. He kills, um, he kills her husband, commits adultery, kills her hu- dr- gets her husband drunk, gets her husband murdered, then marries her. And that, that was a rough year and a half for that dude. Yeah. You know, understatement of the year, right? Very much so. You know, it's not all sketchy, too. He's like out here looking in the window, looking at the lady. Poor guy. Anyhow... Yeah. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was struggling. And again, I'm not, I, I don't sit in judgment on King David as much as his story. He was an anointed one. Do you guys know what anointed means? Oil on the head. That's where we get the Hebrew word Messiah, which we get the Greek word Christ. He was an anointed one. Like, God is like, this is my chosen God. Now what we're starting to think as we're reading through this story is, David is definitely more faithful than any of the kings in, 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 in Philistia, any of the kings in Babylon. He's not sacrificing children. He's more or less leading a fair government. Even though, you know, he, he seems like, okay, man, like, you know, if you're, you know, there's this um, show on History Channel where they rate presidents. You know, we give them, a, if five was the highest, we'll give him a four. Now, we're comparing him to other kings, his contemporaries, and the people who would come after him. But right now, he would get a solid four. Now, when you compare him to Jesus, what he gets, a one? Of course, a one. You're like, bro, you fell hardcore compared to Jesus. But David's doing well, and so there's an anticipation, there's a longing. And God says, God raises up prophets, and they won't listen. Every king in David's line has minimal success to some degree or another. You know, you have Josiah, you have Hezekiah, you mm-hmm. have all these guys, but Israel ends in exile. So, why is this story important? When you're sitting with a friend and they're like, why, why do I even care about the Old Testament? Why can't I just jump from Genesis 3 Or in that Genesis 11, and go straight to the New Testament. Why? Who cares that all these people failed? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, you know, go
1: for it, Nick. Yeah, I was just
0: going to say that, you know, I think the the band in the Old
1: Testament The
0: Old Testament is very validating. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that, Lincoln. You know, this story is really important on so many levels. Here we see who God is, so patient. Even when it looks like God is angry and he's going through it, God has self-control. He's never once lost self-control, which is crazy. It's impressive. God is committed to accomplishing his plan. You know, there's a lot of self representatives, like, but God is committed to accomplishing his plan. Second, you see, like all people, like you were mentioning, Lincoln, we're all so complex. Like you put any human on a, pit, on a pedestal that isn't named Jesus, there's going to be a thousand and one chinks in their armor. No one faithfully follows God. But then you wonder, like, but these guys had the law. And it isn't just the kings, it was the people as well. They had the law, they had everything. What was wrong? You mentioned it earlier, their hearts, their hearts were not transformed. You know, we live in a world where people actually think, if I follow the teachings, and this is not, I'm not hating on anyone who follows another religion. Uh, If I follow the teachings of this religion or that religion, I'll be at peace, because it's all about the teachings. You know, we're a fellowship that teaches a lot, which is good. We want to know God's word. We should know God's word. But yet, what God is looking for is for change hearts. You know, when, when Jesus comes with the message of repentance, he's asking you to change your mind, but that also can lead to, it should lead to a heart change. And this is what a lot of the prophets, whether we're talking about Jeremiah or we're talking about Ezekiel, when they see the coming future of his coming Messiah, they all talk about the law being written on the heart. Or I'll give you a new heart, not one of stone, but one of flesh. They talk deeply about the heart. And so as we read through these stories, we all kind of do it. We identify with, a lot with the characters. We all see like, ah, you no, know, I would've not killed Besheba. I mean, Bathsheba's husband, I would've not cheated. But boy, oh boy, man, I would've killed Saul. If I could have got away with it and been anointed king that would have been a dead man a long time ago or like yeah you know I would have been on a slander campaign if Samuel said I wasn't the true king if I was Saul or yeah you know I would have done, who, how many people want to be King Solomon yeah. all the money all the <laughs> wisdom there's a lot of secular people all the women this man has so much women you're like that's it Praise God. If he is the author of Ecclesiastes, then he had to come to Jesus' moment. But we look at these people and we long and we're kind of like, and the scriptures are trying to poke at something in our heart that your, your, your best attempts will not get you to be a faithful image bearer of God. You need someone. The Israel was onto something a little bit when they anointed David. God was like, they're rejecting me as king. And so when he comes in Christ, he comes as king again. But they were onto something. We needed someone that we could look to. And so how, why do we share this with our friends? Why do we share the old covenant with our friends? This is where we can tell our friends like, man, you, I know plenty of people in South Florida who believe in karma. Does everyone in here you know what karma is? If you do good, will happen to you. And if you do bad, bad will happen to you. Most of these people who I know who do karma are upper middle class people, so they don't think about the evil that they do in any given particular situation, but they believe wholeheartedly in karma. I'm like, bro, I don't wanna live in a world where karma is the judge. Yeah. No. Like, that's, that's a heavy burden to bear. <laughs> and we see it mapped out really clearly when Israel tries to play tit for tat with God. And we, and we see consistently, oh man, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, Israel would be out of gas. But the people who live slate enslaved to karma, they're like, I know I could just get to be the perfect person. Man, there's perfect person personally, and then there's the systemic evil we're all involved in. Like, how many of you bought Starbucks coffee today? This whole room is guilt-free of evil, which is good. Not today. <laughs> But they underpay the people who, who are picking the coffee beans. You know, all of us have varying points. If you just unpack and see what your money do when you spend it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm involved. To some degree of evil, which is why I think everyone should pray, Lord, forgive me. Yeah. Even if you can't think of anything, if you spent a dollar in this country, man, it got split in so many different ways. Somewhere evil it went to as well, unfortunately. And so karma would say every person is gonna always come back as a tree, or, or or something of that sort. That's one thing. I think the other thing is well, the
1: atheists
0: I hate talking on this. I think the atheist challenge of morality, like we have no idea. At least I don't believe we have any idea how can we accomplish human flourishing apart from this story? I think it's almost impossible. You need elements of this story. And what what non-believers end up doing is, they take a leap of faith and they take an aspect like, outside of everyone being the image of God, human rights doesn't exist. There's no logical outplaying of the term human rights without everyone being the image of God. It, It doesn't make sense logically because, is if someone has a better starting point and life is a competition, then he got the better starting point. I don't need to make rights for you. I need to mind my own business and take care of myself. But because of this Christian story, there's a thing called human rights. We're all like hearing something tragic happen somewhere else and the UN gets together and say, you can't do this because of human rights. We're reading this story and we identify and we say, this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. When we encourage our friends to read these stories, they could get drawn in and get pulled in and see like, man, I guess, I guess Freud doesn't really know as much as Freud thinks he does. Israel's story is written as encouragement for us. It's, that's what Paul says in Romans 15, that it's written as encouragement. And what he says in 1 Corinthians is that this, this is written as examples for us. What Jesus says is all these stories point to the need for him. Like we are looking at every single page of the Bible, like you mentioned earlier, Lincoln, and we're looking for why isn't there someone being faithful to be in the image of God? And so this story, the Old Testament in particular, is the necessary background to say what Paul said in Romans chapter three, no one is righteous, not even one. That no one has been able to faithfully follow as the image of God. I think God wanted me to stop there. <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> I'm rebellious. <laughs> um, okay, so just a just final thought here as we, we wrap up a little bit and we can open it up for a little bit of discussion. When we're sharing the Old Testament, in particular Israel's story, ah, you see. And coming aside, we'll partner with God for the sake of the nations. When we're sharing the Old Testament, we're like, this is really important. It's awkward. You know, most of you guys are college educated, and you're in, in, in societies that, like, shudder at all the violence in the Old Testament. They shudder at the women's roles in the Old Testament. They shudder at the, um, the, the sacrificial system. Like, PETA has nightmares about what happened in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Like, and so they're reading our our scriptures and they're like, you guys are barbarians. Like, I can't follow this, God. And so, you know, Christians over the years have been like, okay, let's ignore that and just focus on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, we can ignore that. But that's an important part of our story. That's an important part of our narrative. And there are so much nuggets to be drawn from it. But I think one thing I want to encourage you guys... This sounds really tough, especially, I'm guilty of being a part of the, the civilized group of people who like, oh, that's so uncouth, you know? We gotta learn to start embracing some of the weirdness of what we believe. Sometimes I wanna pass really quickly through the weirdness when they're like, oh, but you believe in a talking snake. Listen, I believe in love, love, man. There's no greater moral than love. I believe in that. I I wanna go to something I could like feel proud about, but there is a huge part of the, the biblical story that we need to embrace if we're gonna make sense of this world. There's a phrase called enchanted, which is saying in so many words that mysterious things still happen. Like we believe in prayer that heaven and earth is connected, right? And so when I pray, I believe God can break into the world and do something different. I don't pray in such a way that God is like out there and he ain't going to do anything like, oh, I pray and then I actually execute as if God isn't going to execute with me. I believe God can still break into the world. And so sometimes when when my secular friends ask me, so you actually believe God could change that through prayer? I could feel the temptation to shrink back. Well yeah, you know, he's breaking through the actions of people like me actually doing what I'm praying about. Instead of like, no, I could partner with him and choose that. He could do it without me. He could do it with someone else. He could do it by himself. I think that's really important, even as we're sharing this. I know, at least I'm I'm speaking more for myself before we discuss. I feel the intimidation of the Old Testament. Let me just say that. Like, all the men and women who are still Jewish today, on one level, I respect the tired of them. I'm like, man, this is like but you know they become Jewish because they were raised that way. <laughs> like they're not really converting people at an alarming rate. Um, but what are you guys' experience when talking to your coworkers, to your friends, about some of the teachings in the Old Testament and God's story?
3: So I'm I'm not particularly studying the Old Testament at all. I think I've been a disciple a little, a couple months over three years, and I've only studied really vigorously the New Testament. Praise God. I think you know there have been times when people will ask about isolated parts of the Old Testament, like, oh, what about the that uh, bald prophet who summoned two bears to kill a bunch of children, or, uh, <laughs> what about you know what about the uh, topic of, like slavery or like, or like, what about these things? And from an uneducated point of view, I probably struggled uh, you know I struggled to answer them on the specific points. Okay, well, here's what that means. But I was almost convinced that maybe that's not the best answer because I think like what I've been telling people is. If you pull certain things out of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, just on their own and try to analyze that, you miss the greater context that it's a part of. And the Bible is not one book where it, you know the I guess like how I tell it. Is. The Bible doesn't go like this, it's more like this, where Jesus is the center, and then once you understand this, you can go either way. Um, so I guess that's the that's the answer that I've been giving people because I'm not particularly well studied. It's effective ish. People seem to respond well to that. So.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of good answers that you could give people. I think the scriptures invite us to mystery though.
3: Yeah.
0: I yeah, like um there's just there's just a lot of things that I think God wants us to to sit in the uncomfortability of mystery. Yeah. But there's a lot of good answers. I'm not saying there isn't no good answers to the slavery question, but There is a part of it that I think God really does want us to... Like, how does communion work? You guys ever thought of that? Take this, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. You're like... Or baptism. Like, when does the Holy Spirit jump in? Going down or going up? You
1: know?
0: And then, like, you know, there's a a lot of mystery to it. Or, you know, you're like man so why did you choose to partner with us and he's like why not and you like well there you go that's not you <laughs> answer my question with a question and now I'm confused <laughs> like so there's some mystery you're gonna share Lincoln okay? yeah I was gonna say I mean, for,
1: I mean there's a lot of sort of challenges in the New Testament too <laughs> you know so like I haven't
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I think um, all the, like, yeah, it all depends on the context you're in, right? Yeah. I agree. There's still a lot of questions about why did God allow Jesus to die that way? Theodicy, God, and suffering, like, it's one thing that people do evil, but what about afflictions like migraines? Like, why does God allow people to have migraines? Like, why are we so broken? Or why can't everyone get excederate? Like, okay, praise God someone made Excedrin, but why can't the guy in this part of the world who has no medicine get it? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of tough things. Holy Spirit, Spirit, the wind of God, the breath of God, the indwelling presence of God. You're like, the Spirit is talking to you, and then you got all this mental health situation, so you're like, is the Spirit talking to me, or am I talking to myself? Um, And that's, that's tricky, right? Like, like, how many of us today, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you audibly, would you even trust it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tim of like La Chanel, you heard that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I heard nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyhow, I, I share this to say, as we're, as we're sharing the Old Testament, I think this is an important. Jesus embraced it. We need to embrace it. But I think the reason he embraced it, because it said a lot about who we were. It shows a lot about who we are, whether we're talking about individuals in the stories, whether we're talking about the people who need to be rescued, whether we're talking about the people in rebellion, whether we're talking about even the idol worshipers who are the enemies in the story. It reveals a lot. And this is why every time they shared the gospel, they shared the Old Testament. But it is not the the gospel.
5: Like, there was almost less of these particular Like, well, why did, like, I forgot that guy's name, he was trying to hold up, like, the covenant and then not just, like, kill them?
0: Oh, you know, used something?
5: something? Yeah, it was that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I guess I wondered about it, you know. But it was, it was actually like, less of those things, but more of just, like, like where has God and all of, like, this, like, extra, you know, all, all the challenging things that like, we as Americans or just like, as people experience together as people you working know, together
0: yeah i appreciate you sharing that i think and i and you know anytime you share your opinion you're open to the communal judgment right so i share this opinion opening up opening myself up to judgment. i'm still exploring so if i'm dead wrong then amen i got i got i got a great opportunity to learn and amen so I've i've been thinking a lot about that so god's love is unending unceasing and you see it through the scriptures and love does not force right like at least I believe that uh, That's subject to change maybe I maybe I turn, change my mind tomorrow um, but today love doesn't force and so when, when when the scriptures say God is love God has to be consent and God in creating the world and giving everyone responsibility and I'm talking about even creation like the Sun got to come up and got to do it it's almost like the divine consent is like okay the Sun is gonna do what it does but sometimes it is gonna do what it does and God doesn't change those things. It doesn't diminish God's power, but on some levels by partnering with us, God becomes powerless a little bit because he doesn't go against our will. Does that make sense? Are we checking so far? So God partners with Steve. He says, Steve, you have free will. And if I choose to use that free will here and harm someone, he's like, I was powerless because I gave you the power to be, to have free will. Are we tracking? Okay, so this is coming from some, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. All right, so, so, when I, cause I, I, I was thinking a lot about what you were mentioning about, like, you know, the, the concept of God being in control, it, 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 it can be very challenging for me. Maybe I should stop recording this.